Grab your Bibles now. Grab your Bibles and turn with me to Revelation chapter number 2. Revelation chapter number 2. And uh, uh, Austin, I'm going to do the best I can with this mic. It kept falling off, so you just have to wave at me if it goes crazy on me, all right? Uh, Revelation chapter number 2. I want to uh, deal with a specific subject tonight uh, that I think think sooner or later everybody's going to deal with it. Uh, and that is the Christian and his passion, his passion. Uh, and the, and the, and the bad part is the longer you've been saved, the, the more prevalent this problem becomes because when you're a baby Christian, everything's exciting, right? Everything is new. Everything is exciting. Everything is fresh. And it seems like the longer that you're saved, we, we have a tendency to get over it, Right. We, we get over uh, what it was like. And so that's what I want to deal with tonight in Revelation chapter number two. And so let's look in verse number one. If you're there, say amen. amen. Under the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. He says, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And that thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne, and hast patience. And the word born means to put up with, to hold under. And hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored, and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, nevertheless. Everything sounded pretty good up until this point. Matter not just sounded pretty good. I'm telling you, any pastor in America would love to have people with with those type uh, uh, credentials, works, and labor, and patience. Uh, doesn't put up with sin. Doesn't put up with evil. Uh, uh, was has discernment, right? Has discernment. Uh, was patient. Was enduring. Persevering. Labor and didn't faint. That's pretty good. But then he says, "But nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee." Because thou hast left thy first, what? Thy first love. Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works or else I will come unto thee quickly and remove thy candlestick out of his place except thou repent. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I'm so thankful for your mercy and your kindness and your love and your presence. Lord, thank you for a a good crowd on a Wednesday night for Bible study. Thank you for people who are committed and they persevere and they're here. Probably could be 50 other places right now, but they're in your house. Lord, I pray that you will will encourage them. I pray that you will uh, just edify and convict and challenge and bless and encourage. And Lord, I pray that your perfect will be done. Lord, we, 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 we struggle with these things sometimes. And I'll be the first to admit it, Lord, sometimes uh, uh, life gets difficult and, and our passion seems to grow really low. And Lord, I pray that you'll help us to see some areas that we can improve on and to deal with here tonight. And God will be careful to give you the glory and the praise and the honor for it. And Lord, don't let me say anything I'm not supposed to, but don't let me forget anything I need to. In Jesus' name, control everything done tonight. God will be, will be giving you all the glory and all the praise. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people say it. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> you may be seated. You may be seated. A, a few years ago, a few years ago, my, my daughter played basketball. Uh, she loved to play basketball. The, a lot of the girls out there love to play basketball. But there was just one individual young lady that you could tell you could tell uh and if you are familiar with sports any at all or been around it any y'all you're gonna run into this every now and then there was one young lady you could tell her parents made her play she wasn't interested she didn't care about it it was it was really no big deal her parents were going nuts in the stands and she could care less on the court and I'm telling you what, I, I've, I've, I've coached ball before, not basketball, but uh, I've coached before. And I'm telling you, I do not think there is anything as frustrating to a coach as somebody that's not passionate about 
what they're doing. And I, I think sometimes God looks down on us and he kind of feels the same way as a coach when the coach is looking at somebody and watching somebody and trying to coach somebody that's not passionate about what they're doing. I was, I, I, I like to play golf. I like to play golf and I, I like to watch golf, especially uh, the Ryder Cup. How many of y'all know what I mean by the Ryder Cup? It's when the U.S. Uh, plays everybody else, the whole world against the U.S. And, and, and I, I put an illustration in your, in your notes there back in 2008, the 2008 Ryder Cup. And if you're familiar with this, you'll know what I'm talking about. The U.S. had not won since 99. I mean, it is, we were on a bad, bad losing streak and really wasn't doing good up until then. But there was one player on that 2008 Ryder Cup named Boo Weekly. Boo Weekly was a redneck. Say amen. When they did when they did interviews with him, he I mean he's a PGA Pro Tour golfer and he's got a dip in his mouth and he's given an interview on live national TV and he says, "Man, I feel like I'm juiced up like one of them greyhound chasing that bunny around the track." And I thought, this is my man right here. And, and to make a long story short, we, were, we wasn't doing too good. Well, Boo is just passionate about everything he does, whether it's fishing, uh, hunting, uh, playing golf at the time. And he started playing. And the more he played, the more passionate he got and the more, uh, what would be the word, the, the displaying that passion. Uh, uh, what's a good word for that? enthusiastic, but, but showing it, showing it. I mean, pumping his fist or one particular drive. He hit this great drive and he run off the tee with the driver, his, his golf club between his legs, like it was a Shetland pony (laughs) on national TV in the PGA. You know, them old codgers were just, Oh, and the crowd was going crazy. Yeah. It, it was in the U.S. And they were, they, this is what the chant was. Boo S.A. Boo S.A. Boo S.A. Yeah. You know what? We won. We won. Because one person decided to be passionate about what he did. Listen, you see church all over America. You see church all over America. But you're really not seeing passionate people pursuing an awesome God. And, and we have here in this chapter, here, here, here's what we have in this chapter. Uh, I, I need to do just a little bit of study in chapter number one and give you, give you some stuff in chapter number one. And then we'll go through this letter so it'll make sense. Because if you're not familiar with Revelation, how many of y'all know there's some crazy stuff in Revelation? And there's symbolism in Revelation. And, and, and so when you see things, you hear stuff like the golden candlesticks or the seven stars in his right hand. Now, that's not going to make sense unless I explain it to you. And you see it in chapter number one. In chapter number one, John, we know this is the apostle John. He's exiled on the Isle of Patmos, Right. And, and, and so God has given him a vision of future things to take place. There are seven specific churches in, in the area of Asia uh, that he is addressing with this letter, this particular book, the book of Revelation, right? Uh, uh, starting with Ephesus all the way down to Laodicea. Ephesus, Thyatira, Sardis, you know, Pergamos, uh, all of these, Philadelphia. And so there's seven specific churches. And, and, and in the beginning, he sees a vision of the resurrected Lord, right? He is there. He is praying. He's in the spirit on the Lord's day. All of a sudden, he sees this vision of, of, of the resurrected Lord. And, and there's a, a, a really distinct uh, description of that vision. But then he says, I saw seven golden lampstands, seven golden lampstands. And I saw seven stars in the right hand of him that walketh amongst the seven golden lampstands. Well, at the end of chapter one, he says, let me tell you what those are. The seven golden lampstands represent the seven churches. All right. So the seven lampstands are the the seven churches. He said the seven stars 
are the angels to the seven churches. Now the word angel means messenger and can be translated pastor. So he says, I hold the seven angels or the messengers to those churches, the, the pastor. So y'all didn't know I was an angel. Right? I just get no support around here. All right. So, so here we have Jesus. This is the vision that John sees, right? We see the seven golden candlesticks, which represent the seven churches. And then we have seven stars in his right hand, right hand. And, and they represent the pastor. So, so what are we seeing? We are seeing that Christ is involved in his church. All right. He walks in amongst, in the midst of the seven golden, uh, the seven golden candlesticks, which are the seven churches. So what can we take from that? That Christ is actively involved in his church. He is there. He sees what's going on. He sees what's happening. He sees what's not happening. And, and if you will go to every, we don't have time tonight, but if you go to all seven churches, the letters in chapters two and three, he, he writes a letter to each one of these churches and he starts every one of them out with, I know thy works. 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 Now, how can he know it? Because he's walking in the midst of them. Are y'all with me? So what can we take from that practically right now? Jesus is here. Jesus walks up and down the pews. He is here. He know, And by the way, by the way, he's not only here, he's very aware. He's aware of what we're thinking. He's aware of who's here and who's not here. He's aware. Watch this now. And this, we're going to see this big time in this letter right here. He's aware of why we are here. Some of y'all are here because you really want to be here. Some of y'all are here because your spouse will be mad if you ain't. Some of y'all are here because you didn't have nothing else to do tonight. Some of y'all are here out of obligation. Some of y'all are here because it's a habit. It's the habit we have. Now let me say this. I am just glad you're here. I, you know what? I, I can say this. I can say this. I don't care. If it took bribing you and guilting you by your spouse, pour it to it, honey. Get him here. But Jesus don't feel the same way as I do. He cares about why you're here. He doesn't just care about what you do. He cares about why you do it. And we're going to see that. We're going to see that big time. So now if we're all clear, if we're all clear on what the symbolism is, the seven golden candlesticks represent what? The seven churches. The seven stars represent the the seven pastors, the messengers, the angels, right? And so when you see him addressing in the letter to the angel of this, this particular church, the church of Ephesus, he's talking to the leader, to the pastor, the elder there of that church. Does that make sense? All right, now, so let's, let's jump into this. Let's jump into this. Ephesians, or excuse me, Revelation chapter 2. Unto the angel, who is that? The pastor or messenger, the, the leader of the church there. This is what I want you to write. And by the way, if you've got a red letter edition Bible, what color is your writing? What's that mean? Jesus is talking, okay? Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Now we know if you go back and read chapter number one, that that's talking about Christ. That's talking about Jesus. Jesus is writing this letter. Jesus is addressing his people in this church. I know thy works. <clears throat> well, let's, let's back up a minute. <clears throat> let's back up a minute. Unto the angel of the church of, everybody say it. The angel of the church of, Let's talk about Ephesus just a minute. Let's talk about Ephesus just a minute so we can kind of get a, a good understanding of what we have here. The, the church of Ephesus, the, 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 or, the, or the, 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 the city of Ephesus, was a major, major city. Uh, uh, there, any governor that came into Asia had to come through Ephesus. 
uh, the, the, it was approximately 200 to 250,000 people. And the gospel was first introduced. So it's way bigger than Coleman, guys. Way, way bigger than Coleman. And the gospel was first introduced to Ephesus by Priscilla and Aquila. If you'll remember, if you go back to the book of Acts. Well, then here shows up a really eloquent, powerful debater of, of, of the word in Apollos. So Apollos is ministering here. Uh, Aquila and Priscilla is ministering here. And then Paul shows up on the scene and he spends three years establishing this church here in Ephesus. We know that Timothy, Timothy, Paul's protege, was a pastor of this church. He spent time leading this church and pastoring this church. Uh, Not only that, uh, the early church fathers have told us that the apostle John was a pastor here for several decades of his life and was most likely pastoring here when he was arrested and exiled to Patmos. So basically, when, when, when John is pinning these words that, that Jesus has given him, he's pinning a letter to go back to where he used to pastor. Now, can you imagine, can you imagine a church that was pastored by the Apostle Paul, pastored by Timothy, his protege, pastored by the apostle John, who was John the beloved, who had his head laid on the breast of Christ, the one closest to Jesus on while his time was here on this earth. Can, can you even fathom the privilege that this church had in the opportunity this church had? This church was an evangelistic firestorm. It matter of fact, All the other churches in these letters, all six other churches were started out of this church of Ephesus. So we know it had a missionary zeal. It had an evangelistic reach. They were not just sitting on their blessed assurance. They were going out and telling people about Christ and they were spreading the gospel all around them and planting churches out of this church. Preacher, what are you saying? They love God. They love God. They not only love God, they loved others. They loved sinners. They loved souls. Man, they had a they had a zeal for God. But this is about 40 years later. About 40 years after the establishment of the church and the first generation believers there. And things have changed drastically. Things have changed. And Jesus knows things have changed. And so Jesus is addressing what he is seeing in the church. And by the way, uh, just for future reference, it's really not the topic for tonight. but, But just know this, that those seven letters to those seven churches address problems that most most churches in America struggle with sooner or later, one time or another, to deal with here. Now, this particular, this particular situation was a waning love. They had left their first love. Now, let's look at this. Let's dive into the verses here. Let's dive into the verses. Under the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he, we know this is Christ, he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. That means, that means he is involved actively in the local church and he is responsible. He has authority over the leaders of the church, the elders of the church, the bishops of the church. He is guiding them with his hand. God guides his church through his men. Then he says this verse two. I know and say that with me. Say it again. You can believe he does. I know. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience. And and like I said earlier, these are incredible, incredible qualities, incredible characteristics of a church. How thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not. That's discernment. And hast found them liars. And has borne. That means to hold under. I mean, in other words, if they were carrying a heavy load, 
You've done that. You've had patience. And for my name's sake has labored and has not fainted. They have persevered. In other words, he's, he's implying that they have gone through some very difficult trying days, trying times in the life of the church, and they persevered. They hung in there. They toughed it out. They struggled through it. They held on. They held on. But he says, nevertheless, nevertheless, this, is, this will show you. This will show you how serious this is to Christ. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. Thou hast left thy first love. Now, let's take a minute. Uh, I don't think you got this, Chris, because I, I just put these down. Uh, but in Matthew twenty-two thirty-six, Jesus was asked a question. He was asked the question, what's the greatest commandment? If we were only going to follow one commandment, what would that commandment be? What's the greatest commandment? Matthew twenty-two thirty-six says, Master, which is the great, this is a law you're asking him this. Master, which is the great commandment in the law? You know what Jesus said? He said, thou shalt what? Love. love. Say it with me. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And then he said, the second is as the first, love your neighbor as yourself. So what is God saying? The most important commandments you could ever follow is to love God and love others. Now watch Matthew 10, 37. He that loveth father, well, this is, this is stout right here. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me, he is not worthy of me. This is how serious Jesus takes your love for him. John 14, 21 says, he that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Amen. He takes it so seriously that how many of y'all remember when, when Peter said, I go a fishing, right? I'm going back to what I used to be. I'm just going to, I'm just going to do my own thing. And y'all know the story, fished all night long, caught nothing. Next day, uh-oh, it's the Lord. You know, they caught the fish, put the fish on the net on the other side, and here we go, it's the Lord, and he bails out, and, and, and Jesus has a heart-to-heart with him. And the question that he asked Peter over and over again, three different times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Jesus is concerned about our love for him. And when he is addressing this church, he is, he is going down all the qualities. He's going down all of the good things, all of the great habits they have, all of the, 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 the essential things that you really need to have in a church, you really need to have as a Christian in this crazy world that we live in. And all of that's good and great and fine and wonderful, but he said there's something wrong. There's something wrong. He said, you've left your first love. Now, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. I want you to see number one. In verse four, we see his concern. We see his concern. What is his concern? They've left their first love. Now, what, is that, what does that mean? It says it don't look like they left their first love. They're still, they're still serving. They're still laboring. They're still working hard. They're still doing all of this, but here's what I want you to fill in. Write this down. There was activity without affection. There was activity without affection. There was labor without love. There was labor without love. There was performance without passion. There was performance without passion. In other words, in other words, they were going through the motions. 
They were going through the motions. They have not. They didn't stop going to church. They didn't stop bringing their Bible. They didn't stop holding the door open. They didn't stop attending Sunday school or life groups or whatever. They, they were still doing all the stuff. They were still doing all the things. They were still going through all the activities. But their motive was desperately wrong. In other words, in other words, they were doing it out of obligation. Now, listen up. Listen up, guys. This is so important right here. This is so important right here. They were doing it out of obligation and not adoration. They watch this. Maybe they were doing it out of necessity because nobody else would do it. I guess I'll do it. Nobody else is going to do it. Now, now. it's hard for me. It's hard for me as a pastor to fault those people. I'm just telling you right now, I'm trying to be as honest as I can be. Uh, Listen, when somebody does it because they're supposed to, not necessarily because they want to, man, I think that's a great thing. That to me, that's commitment. That's perseverance. That's, but, but, but Jesus sees a deeper problem. And Jesus knows something about this that sometimes we don't realize that you're not going to do it out of obligation very long. If you do what you do, because because the Bible says that we're going to have great tribulation, we're going to have great suffering, that it's going to be difficult, straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leadeth unto life and few there be that find it. It's hard to be a Christian. It's hard to live a Christian life. It's hard to be faithful and do all of these things. And I'm telling you, if you don't do it for the right motivation, you're not going to do it long. But if you do it out of love, if you do it out of adoration, If you're serving because you love Jesus, it can't get hard enough to stop you. It can't get more difficult to keep you from doing it. Because the love of Christ, Paul said this, the love of Christ constraineth me. Paul's getting beaten with rods. He's getting stoned and left for dead. He's going through shipwreck and betrayal and, and chasing him down and a thorn in his side. But yet he says, I'm keeping on, keeping on, because I can't stop. The love of Christ constraineth me. Amen. And so this is a big deal. Why we do what we do is important. Not what's preaching, at least I'm showing up. As a pastor, I applaud you. But the scripture saying, that's not good enough. Because see, he's smarter than me. I'm just glad you're doing it. But see, Jesus can see next month. I can't. All I can see is that you're here tonight. But Jesus sees if your motivation is what it needs to be. And you don't have the love of Christ in your heart to the point that you are in love with Christ. He knows that there's going to be difficult days ahead. And two months from now, you're not going to be here. Does that make sense? So this is why this is a big deal. He cares as much about why we do what we do, not just what we do. Now listen, his concern his concern. But then I want you to see the cause. The cause. <clears throat> Their first love was the concern. The cause. Thou hast left. Aren't you glad it didn't say lost? Yeah. I've heard people say they lost that love. No, they didn't. It don't say lost. If it's lost, you don't know where it is. If it's left, you can go back to it. Right? Thou hast left. What are some some reasons that we get kind of chilled in our affection? Our passion passion gets kind of cooled off, right? Three things I want to give you and then we'll move on. First of all, our sin. Our sin. The Bible says in Matthew 
chapter 24, verse 12. It says, because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax what? Cold. Cold. It's hard to be on fire for God with unconfessed sin in your life. It's hard, it's hard to just be madly in love with, with Jesus and the Holy Spirit pounding you because there's something you're doing you ain't supposed to be doing. It's hard to, it's just hard. Our sin will cause us to get cool. It'll cause the passion to dwindle. But not only, not only sin, say, what do I do? If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. That's first John, right? And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Stop. Just stop. Confess it to God. Make it right. Our sin. But then write this down. Our surroundings. Our surroundings. I don't think we, I don't think we take this into consideration enough. It says 2 Peter 2, 7. He said, and delivered just Lot, vexed with the filth. Vexed means tortured, by the way. We're talking about how many of y'all remember Abraham and Lot. Lot was in Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, Sodom, Sodom and Gomorrah gets destroyed by the angels and they have to drag Lot and his, his family out. But look what it says. It says, for that righteous man. Now that's, that's, that's Wow. Now you wouldn't think that. You wouldn't think that in 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 the Old Testament. But the Bible says he was a righteous man. For that righteous man dwelling among them, dwelling among who? The wicked. The wicked. He was vexed, he was tortured with the filthy conversation. The word conversation means behavior, activity. The filthy conversation of the wicked for that righteous man dwelling among them in, in what? In seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. You know what? I, I, I really, I really don't think that most Christians take into consideration the effect that the environment of this world has on your spiritual condition. I really, I really think that is a, that is a problem. And I think, and, and I'm just going to be transparent. I'm just going to be transparent and it's just as real as I can be. I think, have you ever heard the phrase getting used to the dark? I think we've been so conditioned by Hollywood. We've been so conditioned by, by, by things on TV and things around us that, that, that there could be vulgar stuff happening and we don't even blink an eye because we've been around it so much we don't even think about it anymore. But little do we know it has an effect on our minds. It has an effect on our thoughts. It has an effect on our spiritual fervor, if you will. So how do you know that? Because God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. And if our mind is consumed with things of this world and the things of darkness, we can't, there's no way in the world we can have a zeal for God in that kind of condition. Well, preacher, I got to work out there. I know that. I know that. And, 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 and this is what Jesus said. This is what Jesus said. Jesus said, I don't want you to take them out of the world. I don't want you to take them out of the world because the world's not going to be reached if you take them out of the world. He said, I want, you to, I want you to keep them in the world, but keep the world out of them. You can't help where you work, but you can help what you watch. You can't help who your family is. Sometimes you got to go to family reunions and everybody's family is not saved. But you could, act, you could watch how you behave. I remember as a little kid, I remember as a little kid going to family reunions on, on Thanksgiving. And just about every, not all of them, but the biggest majority of them all drank heavily. Say, did you go? Yeah, we went. It was great. I loved my family. I had great times with family. 
Well, what'd you do? We drank Coke. And we talked right amongst the other cussing. Y'all with me? We can be a light in a dark place. But you say, but you say, how was you able to do that? Because we was in church every time we were supposed to be. And, and we made sure, we made sure that our batteries, spiritual batteries were charged up before we went in the darkness. Does this make sense? We can't neglect our Bible. We can't neglect uh, the assembling of ourselves together. We can't do all of that and, in fi- and figure that we're going to go out in this world and be a, a, a great shining light in the midst of darkness. You dim as they are. And I don't mean that derogatory. I'm just telling you. Every time that you're out in wickedness and out in this world and out in that environment, it draws your spiritual strength. Oh, preacher, I think you're exaggerating. Really? Miss this three weeks in a row and stay with them three weeks. And you'll be cussing just like they are. You'll be talking like them. I'm telling you. Listen, it's very important that we do everything we can to keep the light shining bright. And that means, guys, I hate to tell you this, but that means you're going to have to have more God and Bible than just Sunday morning and Wednesday night. You need your daily soaps. I've done taught you how to do it. Y'all grown people, I can't make you. But I'm telling you, you're going to need it. Because the more you work out there, the more it's going to drain you. And you've got to say, listen, your passion will grow weak. It'll grow cold. The cause, A, our, everybody, our sin. Then B, our surroundings. Then here's a, here's a biggie that I don't think a lot of people take into consideration enough. Our schedules. My, ain't we busy right now? Man, the devil's so good at what he does. He is so good at what he does. Mary and Martha, y'all know the story. Now it came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village. A certain woman named Martha received him into her house. She had had a sister. She, she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about. Cumbered means tied up. Stumbling about, cumbered about much serving. And came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful or caring. You're worried, is what he's saying. You're worried and troubled about many things. But one thing is, say, what is that? Sitting at his feet and hearing his word. Now everything, everything Martha was doing was important. Everything Martha was doing was important. Listen, she was serving. She was doing everything she knew to do. And then some. But what Jesus is saying here is if you're too busy to sit at my feet and hear my word, you're too busy. If you're too busy to go to church, you're too busy. If you're too busy to spend time in prayer, you're too busy. If you're too busy to take time and read a chapter in your Bible and do a little soap study, you're too busy. You can, listen, you can be working for Jesus and not working with Jesus. There's a difference. There's a difference between working with Jesus and working for Jesus. 
When you're working with him, you're dependent on his strength and power. When you're working for him, you're dependent on your own strength and power. And, you, and, and this is what's going to happen. What happened to her? Let me, let, me give you, let me give you three things real quick. But Brother Griggs, can you grab me one of them tissues, please? Law dog ain't here. He done let me down. Look here. Consequence. Verse five. Verse five. Let's look at a consequence and then we'll, thank you, sir. And we'll come back to a conclusion. Okay. He said, you've left your first love. Then look at verse five. Remember from whence thou art fallen and repent and do thy first words or else. Oh boy. We really don't want to hear an or else from Jesus, right? Or else. In other words, you take care of this situation or else. Something's going to happen. He says, he says, I will come unto thee quickly. That's how serious Jesus is about this. I'm not going to mess around with this. I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. Now that's the, that's the consequence. Now watch this, watch this. Let me explain this and then I'll give you the words to write. To really understand what he's saying right here, to really understand what he's saying right here, you got to have some kind of understanding of the Old Testament tabernacle, right? The Old Testament tabernacle, the Old Testament temple. If you'll remember when they, when they built the tabernacle in the Old Testament, that God said, I want, I want in the main sanctuary part, I want it to be two compartments. When you walk in the front, when you walk in the front door of, of the, it's called the holy place. And then there's a curtain, a veil, and then the holiest of holies. Are y'all with me? The holy of the holies, as brother Nasser would say in, in Israel. So you have the holy place and the holy of the holies. That's, that's the place where the Ark of the Covenant was, where the glory cloud was, the Shekinah glory, the presence of God resided. That only a high priest could go once a year into that place, not without blood. Say amen. amen. But when you walked into the holy place, when you walked into the holy place, you would see, you would see a, 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 a table of showbread on one side. And then you would see uh, the golden lampstand on the, the other side. And then right in the front would be the altar of incense that they would put incense on the altar before they would go into the Holy of Holies. But on that candlestick in the holy place, there was no natural light allowed in that place. The only light that could be there would be coming from that golden candlestick. And it was the responsibility of the children of Israel to bring olive oil every day to, to make sure that that candlestick is burning. And that candlestick represented the presence of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, watch this. What is he saying right here? He is saying this. If you don't get this fixed, if you don't take care of this issue, if you don't deal with this first love thing, I'm going to come and remove thy candlestick. I'm going to remove the presence of the Holy Spirit out of the church. In other words, in other words, you're going to be all on your own. There'll be no spiritual presence. There'll be no spiritual power. And we've already learned. We've already learned from Jesus where he said, without me, ye can do nothing. Jesus promised the spirit when he left, I'm going to send a comforter. I'm going to send a helper. I'm going to send a teacher. I'm going to send a power. Acts chapter one, verse eight, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And Jesus is saying, if you don't straighten up, I'm taking it. And then you'll be singing with your natural talent. You'll be preaching with your natural talent. You'll be ministering with your natural talent. Only in what you have. You know what I'm afraid? All over America, churches are operating in their natural abilities. They're singing like they've always sung. They're preaching like they've always preached. They're gathering just like they've always done. And they have no clue they're absent the absence of the Holy Spirit. There's no life. There's no joy. There's no life change. 
And you know the saddest part about it? They're just as happy as can be. And then when they go to a church that's got a little touch of God in it, they think they're charismatic. When you've been around dead so long, God, that God is nowhere near a place. And he said, if you don't straighten up. Now what happens, what happens when we operate in our ability? What happens when we operate in our ability? If he was to take his presence and his spirit off of our ministry, let me give you three things that will take place. First of all, write this down. I hope y'all change that. I sent to, did y'all get that change for me? Thank you. First of all, there's going to be frustration. There's going to be frustration. A deep chronic sense or state of insecurity and dissatisfaction arising from unresolved problems or unfulfilled needs. You're going to still be going to church, but you're frustrated. You're still attending, but, but things just don't feel right. I, you know, I <laughs> can't help but think how many times I've heard people say, well, I tell you, that preacher, he just don't feed me no more. Well, maybe you didn't bring your plate. Maybe you're so full of the world's junk food that you didn't have an appetite when you got here. Or, well, frustration. Just... Do I have to explain what frustration means? Get frustrated, easy. It's not. It's just not happening. Doing church is not easy. Doing Christian Christianity is not easy. Trying to we're just we're just staying frustrated all the time. Does this sound like Martha? She sounded frustrated, didn't she? You see, frustration sets in, and then if, if we stay in a frustrated state, then write this down. Then fatigue sets in. You get real tired. You get real tired. Now watch. Now watch. First we are, say it with me, first we are frustrated. Frustration turns into and then we experience ministry failure. We experience failure. Ministry failure, moral failure. Now look at me. Now look at me, everybody. I said earlier on in, in this lesson, I said, I don't care why you're coming. I'm just glad you're here. But see, Jesus knows you're frustrated. Jesus knows if your heart's not where it needs to be, you're, you're just a few steps from being fatigued. And see, I'm just glad you're here because all I can see is in the moment. All I can see is you're here now. But see, he can see four months from here, you're going to fail. That's why, that's why he knows it's not just what you're doing. It's why you're doing it. Yeah. Amen? Amen? So, we see frustration sets in. Fatigue, failure. When we're trying to do it all on our own. John 15, 5, Jesus said, Without me, ye can do nothing. Simon Peter figured this out. He said, I go a fishing. They say unto him, We also go with thee. They went forth and entered in the ship immediately, and that night they called... You know what's ironic about that too? But watch what happens when Jesus comes on the scene. Fish all night on their own, catch nothing. Jesus shows up in a moment. They can't even drag them in. Anyway, anyway, some of y'all get that tonight about 12 o'clock. Well, what's the conclusion? 
What do we do about it? I got nine minutes. Man, we're going to finish early. I am so glad Jesus ain't like a bunch of evangelists I knew growing up. They come into town like gunslingers and shoot everybody and then leave and expect dad to bury them. Brother Bird, you ever known something like that? Mean, just... Jesus wasn't like that. Jesus said, now I know what the problem is. This is the problem. But unlike a lot of preachers, he said, but this is what you do. This is how you fix the problem. This is how you fix it. He said, how do you fix it? Three things. Three things. Here's a conclusion. Here's a conclusion. First of all, now I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. You're going to get the cart ahead of the horse. You're going to say, get back to doing what you're doing. Nope. That ain't what he said. He said, the very first thing you need to do is remember. Say it with me. He said, Remember, he said, remember from whence thou art fallen. He said, I want you to go back in your mind. And I want you to remember what it felt like when you was on fire for me. I want you to remember what it felt like when you got up 10 minutes before the alarm went off because you was ready to get your britches on, get to church. I want you to remember what it felt like when you shared your first track with somebody, I want you to remember what it felt like when you were so excited about the things of God that you just couldn't help it. I want you to remember. And by the way, couples in here, couples in here, this is good marriage advice. Some of y'all been together so long, you over it. Well, we got youngins in here. We'll have to wait till the marriage enrichment conference. Amen. <laughs> Do you remember? Uh huh. There's something about. There's something about remembering. Remembering. He says, "Remember whence you are fallen." Then he said, "Now this is where we get ahead of the horse again." Okay, now let's go do what we used to do. No, no. This is a very, very important step. He said, remember from whence thou art fallen. Then he says this, repent. Now when you write that down, look at me because I want to explain why that's so important. What's the number one commandment? Love God. If that is the single, now, now, now watch now. Loving God is the single most important thing that any child of God can do. Amen. So when we don't, how much of a major sin is that? I mean, we'll protest homosexuals. We'll, 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 we'll protest abortion clinics. And in our head, we'll think those are the vilest sins there are. And Jesus said the number one thing that you need to do, and matter of fact, if you love anything more than me, you're not even worthy to follow me. So when we don't, that's a heinous sin that we need to repent. And I'm afraid there's way too many Christians that want to just go back to the way it used to be without getting it right with God. Because we think, well, we've just got out of the habit. No, we have sinned grievously Against our Lord. And he is saying to this church, this is a big deal. 
I mean, this is a sin that needs to be repented of. I mean, they're on, they're showing up on time. They're being faithful to everything the church is doing. They're not putting up with evil. They're showing discernment. They're persevering. But God said, this is something you need to repent over because you don't love me like you used to. You don't love me like you used to. You, you don't sing about me like you used to. You don't think about me like you used to. You, you don't praise me like you used to. You don't talk about me like you used to. You, you don't share me with others like you used to. And he's saying, you need to repent. And the word repent means to change your mind. To change your mind. What, what, you know what confess means? Confess don't mean I did it. You know, in 1 John it says, we confess our sin. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. Confess don't mean I did it. He knows you did it. So he don't need you to tell him you did it. He saw when you did it. He told you not to before you did it. So what does it mean to confess? It literally means to come into agreement with. You know what it means when we really confess? When we feel the same way about that sin that he does? It's not saying I did it. You can say I did it and keep doing it. How many people have you seen do that? Oh yeah, I, I confess of my adultery and they're still shacking up. I confess that, you know, that, and, and it, there was, there's no change. There was no true confession. You didn't come into agreement. You, don't, you didn't see that sin like he sees it. You didn't change the way you feel about it. And to the point that you feel what he feels about that sin. I'm telling you, when you begin to feel how he feels about a sin, you'll want to stop doing it. He says, repent. Remember, say it with me. Remember, repent and return. Now, he says. Now, watch this. I got two minutes. I got to show you something. Now, this is going to be hard, Fairview, because I usually have this whole runway up here to deal with. So I'm going to try to do it in a smaller fashion right here. So, so, so just, just watch this now. All right. Here is where we were on fire for God. <clears throat> Here's where we were on fire for God. And, 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 and wide open, love Jesus, going after it, on fire. And when we live life and things go by and tragedies come and hard times come and time passes by and we just kind of grow cold to a point that, that, that somewhere in here we just are doing stuff out of obligation and ador- instead of adoration and, and we're doing it because nobody else would do it, but we, we keep doing it. But then now we're fatigued and we're, 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 we're frustrated and, and we're ready to quit. Now he said first to do what? Remember. Remember what it was like way back there? Then he says what? Repent. Repent. God, I'm so sorry. I come into agreement with you about this heinous sin. And then he says, do thy first works. Some of us want to go right back to here. We want to go right back to here where we, we, we just kind of went in cruise control. But he said, I want you to go all the way back to the first. The first. Just start doing it. It's kind of like, it's kind of like, you know, husbands and wives when you, when you're dating. Don't go back to where you started arguing. (laughs) Don't go back to where you couldn't get along. Go back to where you couldn't keep your hands off each other. Woo, right. (laughs) 
Listen, that's a great illustration. Some of you want to just go back to where you just, it didn't, you didn't mind going to church. You're over here frustrated and fatigued, and this is all you can do to get to church. And you think getting right with God is going to the point where you didn't mind going to church. But God wants you to go all the way back to where you couldn't wait to get to church. Does that make sense? I can do some more of that marriage enrichment conference stuff if you need me to to help you with this. 